What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner. And today I was joined by a very special guest. I had Doc Kev, Dr. Kevin Hamidi on the podcast talking all about injury prevention and rehab. This episode was pure fire. Doc Kev brought a lot of important information that is tangible, that is practical, even for somebody like myself that is admittedly a little bit resistant to the corrective exercise world. But this was, a, was, this was different. He had a really unique take and just a very tangible and practical approach, which I love. I love simple and effective. I think you guys are really going to dig this episode. If you do, we would both love to hear about it. We want to know who's listening, who's enjoying the content. So if this episode hits home with you, please let us know about it. You can do that by taking a screenshot of the episode, posting it to your stories on Instagram, and you can tag us both. My handle is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And Dr. Kevin is at Doc Kev Fit. That's D-O-C-K-E-V-F-I-T. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I am super excited to bring another special guest onto the show. I have Doc Kev with me here on the podcast. Doc Kev, why don't you introduce yourself so they know what your actual name is? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, super excited to be here. My actual name is Doc. I go by Dr. Kev. That's what everyone calls me. But Dr. Kevin Amidi is uh, my full name. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um the main thing that I do, we just work with clients virtually around pain, rehab, and mobility, and specifically work with a lot of fitness-minded individuals and helping them overcome their pain and actually get back to training, working out, and fitness pain-free again as that is their ultimate goal and that is everything that we do. Awesome. Well, this is a very timely episode because I can be your guinea pig here since my <laughs> back has been killing me lately, so we're going to get into some of the specifics, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you ended up in that you know field and, and what led you to ultimately where you are now and just kind mm -hmm. of the whole the backstory. Yeah. So, you know, quick backstory around that. Um, I initially got involved in the field um, primarily because I initially just wanted to get into the field as a personal trainer. Um, health and fitness was always something that I loved growing up. I started in the martial arts when I was like four. So something I was always very passionate about. Um, and then throughout undergrad, as I was kind of in exercise science, I was studying for uh, be becoming a strength and conditioning coach and all that. Um the idea actually came from like my martial arts instructor of like, Hey, like maybe you should like check out like physical therapy. Like I saw him go through it and I always wanted to do something in the medical field, but I wasn't really sure what at the time. Um, so I kind of checked it out. I ended up landing at like a sports medicine facility, the shadow and just absolutely loved the sports and fitness side of it with rehab mixed in. So I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Ended up applying, getting into PT school straight out of uh, undergrad. And then it was just off to the races from there. Um, but then the transition into doing what I did now actually came quite interestingly because I ended up like noticing a gap, if you will, um, within the training space, within the physical therapy space, where there wasn't a lot of therapy and rehab being done in what I like to call the gray area in between what I think most listeners maybe think of when they think of physical therapy of like, oh yeah, the traditional like TheraBand exercises, I'm going to lay on the table and do, you know, bridges or clamshells or whatever for like three sets of 10 and like low level post-surgical stuff. And then the people that actually want to train, want to actually be in the gym, want to actually get fitter, et cetera. 
and they get injured, but there's not really anything in the middle there, or at least not that much of it that actually helps to serve that population. And when I saw that need, I was like, hmm, interesting. Let me see if I can do something about it. And that's what led me to starting my own business and doing what I do now. And as of this point, just working with clients and uh, coaches and other patients, like virtually, like all encompassing. Got it. That's, that's super interesting. Now, would you say that the people that you help are mostly the you know more fitness minded individuals who are going to the gym regularly and just want to feel better through their movement patterns. They mm-hmm. you know, there's they have some like nagging injuries, whether it's knee pain, shoulder pain, you know, hips, back, and just want to feel better while they're you know lifting heavy shit. Is that kind of who you cater to? I'd say that's like seventy percent of it. I'd say seventy percent of the people that we see are exactly that. It you know they're lifting in the gym. Maybe they sprain their lower back deadlifting, or you know they you know have some sort of knee pain, squatting, or whatever that may be. And you know our role is to play that facilitator in helping improve their movement patterns, get them feeling better, and get them back to hitting PRs, doing what they love. That's like seventy percent of who we work with. But the other thirty percent, honestly, are also just people that um, maybe they have the inkling that they want to get into fitness and they want to start exercising regularly, but they just aren't consistent, regular exercisers. And I actually do enjoy working with those individuals as well, just because it's funny because we'll actually just start with the mobility and the corrective exercise and more of the lower level stuff to get them feeling better. And as a result of us getting them to feel better, they're now more likely to actually get consistent with, I'm going to try exercising a little more consistently now. I'm going to try to do a little more um, and actually step into the gym now because they actually feel better to the point where they can consistently exercise and do the things. And that was like the main roadblock that was limiting them. And honestly, it's great to just get that breakthrough with them where it's like, oh, my shoulder's finally feeling better. I think I'm going to try to actually hit some workouts now Um, because a lot of times that's like the main like, mental roadblock that they have like before getting into the gym and working out consistently. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like you have two sides of it. Number one is more of the kind of proactive approach. Right. Yeah. I think most people would, would have bent my, know myself included. If I was taught proper movement patterns and mechanics beforehand, I was kind of just like, Oh, all right, I'm going to just figure this shit out as I go. And right. then, you know, have, I have terrible ankle mobility from playing basketball and, and spraining my ankle like 700 times. Um, terrible hip mobility. And so learning movement patterns by just like, all right, I'm going to teach myself was probably not the most effective strategy. (laughs) And then I think, so there's the proactive approach, which is let's get people moving properly beforehand so that they don't have themselves. And then it sounds like you also have the reactive, Mm -hmm. maybe had some, some, you know, injuries throughout the process and like, let's get you feeling better so that you can uh, get back to full range of motion and everything you were exactly. doing. Exactly. And I'd say most of the, and it's interesting because I think most of the people that we seen that we work with are actually more in that reactive camp, to be honest, where it's like, they've never actually thought of these things or considered these things in the first place. And it's that, and it takes them, you know, getting a step back and getting injured or having something happen for them to actually come to us for us to take that reactive approach and build them back up. And then they're like, okay, now I know I need to be proactive about this because this sucked. And like, I don't want to have to go through this again, inevitably. Um, so that's honestly, I think we see more of the reactive nature and the side of things. And then those individuals end up being proactive within actually doing the prehab and the mobility and all of that stuff that we know we should be doing in the first place. Yeah. So let's actually start there because full transparency, I hate doing that stuff. Um, I mean, you and me, you and me both. I mean, I, it's not my favorite thing to do in the world. It's just something where it's like, Hey, like it's like the non-negotiables we always tell clients of like, 
getting your steps in, hitting your, it's the stuff that like, I, we don't want to do, but it's like, I know we need to do it. So I do it. So I'm going to ask the worst question, which is what's the minimum effective dose? Because <laughs> how, how much do I actually need to be doing when it comes to prehab, when it comes to mobility work? Can you just kind of walk me through uh, maybe what that would look like? And we can get into specifics, but I'm just trying to get a general sense of, all right, I know this is something that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. I can commit to something, but I like to know what's the least amount that I can do where I'm still going to see some benefits. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because if you were to ask, um, a, if you were to ask like a hundred different like PTs or Kairos, a lot of them would have different answers. And a lot of them probably aren't going to agree with what I'm going to say because um, I would put a lot of them out of business, to be honest, if like they actually said this. But um, the minimum effective dose, in my opinion, is actually like, what's already found within your training. Meaning if you're already lifting in the gym consistently or working out, say three times a week, if as long as you are, and we can talk about this, as long as you're programming in an effective way that takes every joint and muscle and tissue through its full range of motion to its end range, as we like to call it, as long as you're doing that for every joint and muscle in your body in your workout program consistently two to three times a week, every week, and you're structuring your program properly, you honestly, like, I can't sit here and say you need to do anything outside of that um, because you are effectively, you know, I always like to tell clients, like, when they ask me, should I be stretching? Should I be doing mobility work and all that stuff? I like to pull the example. Okay, cool. Like your hamstrings tight and you know, you should be stretching your hamstrings and doing all that. Great. What do you think you're doing when you're doing a Romanian deadlift in the gym? Well, I'm like extending my hips and bending over, right? Do you feel a stretch in your hamstrings? Yeah, cool. That's mobility. Like, I think we get caught up in thinking we have to do all this extra junk or fluff sometimes without realizing, Hey, if we're just more intelligent with where we're actually spending our time, where like, when we're already spending our time in the gym, if we're just starting there, like that's a minimum dose. Like that's really all we need to effectively be doing from a injury prevention standpoint, from a mobility standpoint, et cetera. Now, are there things we can do on top of that outside of it that can benefit us? Absolutely. But I think as far as what's the bare minimum, like it's already there. It's just making sure you're doing what needs to be done properly in the workouts and programming that you're already doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So let's, let's use a tangible example. I, uh, Yesterday was chest day for me. So I went in, my first exercise was just, uh, I think three by eight dumbbell press. I went in, I probably did four warm up sets to get to my working set. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't go in and do anything else. I walk into the gym, I fill up my water, I go over to the bench, <laughs> take light dumbbells and I get started on my warm ups. Is there anything else that I should be doing in that scenario? Yeah. So I, I think the question will then be like, if let's say that's all you did, um, the question will be, okay, like, are you getting benefit from doing that one thing? Yes. From a standpoint of, sure, we are stretching the pecs out. We are getting some sort of full range of motion. I think this is where we then come into the conversation of what does it mean to actually work through the end range of like all of our joints properly? And for example, if in that example, if that is all we're doing, the extra that we do need to be doing on top of that from that same point is when we think about how the shoulder is moving and just thinking about that one exercise alone of like the bench press, we're not getting the full range of extension that ideally we want in with the shoulder. We're not getting the full range of flexion or abduction worked at all. We're not working the muscles around there. We're not working the stabilizing muscles of the rotator cuff. So that is where, when I like to say, we don't have to do anything outside of the training 
it's true. Like that the minimum effective dose can be found in our training, but using that example, there are certain things that we should be including. So in that workout, for example, that's great. And then on top of that, I would probably do something where we're stretching the shoulder in end range flexion based position. We are working the shoulder in some sort of 90, 90 position for the rotator cuff. And then we're sprinkling in a little bit of stability work for the scap and the rotator cuff complex as well. Maybe some sort of 90, 90, like, um, waiters carry or something of the sort or half kneeling windmill or some sort of exercise like that, that kind of rounds out an upper body day where we're getting the whole shoulder work through all the ranges of motion and areas that we need to be worked in, right? Nothing else has to be done outside of training. If we have those components all in training, we're getting the minimum effective dose that we ideally need from that joint and those muscles and that standpoint alone. That makes perfect sense. Um, let's use another example for like today was leg day and going into doing some back squats, same thing. I take an empty bar. Typically I'll, I'll start with just body weight mm-hmm. and then I'll go empty bar and then I'll yeah. just load up the bar until I've, mm-hmm. I've found my working set. Um, can you walk us through, you know, for something like that? Cause admittedly I've been experiencing a significant amount of lower back pain as, as much as I hate to admit that it's significant, but it is enough <laughs> to make me uncomfortable. And it's the first time that this has happened, uh, kind of, I don't know, maybe six years ago it was probably five or six years ago at the bottom of a squat. I got a horrible back spasm, had to bail. It was incredibly painful, went through like ART rehab, did all the things, started feeling better. And it hasn't bothered me lately. It's like, I wake up, it hurts. If I bend over in a certain way, it hurts. Uh, I'm still able to squat without pain, but just there's, there's lower back pain that exists. So let's talk about kind of, you know, what might be helpful in this scenario. Yeah. I think there's two things I'll first touch on like, okay, from the whole same with what we've been talking about mobility wise, like what else probably can we do or put into a program for a minimum effective dose standpoint with like working through low back pain and stuff. And then the other thing I'll tackle, which I think will be helpful for a lot of listeners here that probably a lot of people are also struggling with low back pain during lifts or like other things. So um, I'll kind of run you through like a framework that I like to use when it comes to just like working through that sort of stuff with pain in the gym. But, you know, the way I like to also think about sprinkling in like the effective mobility and everything that we need to be working on is also like in warmups. There's nothing wrong with just starting with the empty barbell and like grooming the movement pattern, I think from a very minimal effective dose standpoint, that's really all you need to do. Now, if you want to actually get the effective mobility in, I like to also do some of that in like a structured, like eight to 10 minute warm up, like right before we even pick up the barbell and get to lifting. Um, because ideally that's the best way I found to personally sandwich that into the day where it's not taking any more extra time than like the time you're already allocating towards training ideally. And it allows us to work the joints and the muscles through the end ranges of motion that we need. So the example I like to use in that case, let's say it's lower body day and you're going into squat or deadlift. Um, in this example, the way I kind of like to look at it is like sprinkling in that mobility into a warm up where one, we're getting in what I like to call a positional mobilization where we're just improving the joints and tissues range of motion overall that we need for that workout. So when we think about a squat, it's like, what do we need? We need full flexion and internal and external rotation of the hips when we're going down and out of the squat. So ideally, in our warm up, we're also doing something to help work on that because while squatting and doing Romanian deadlifts or anything of the sort is great. We're not effectively getting all of the ranges of motion that 
work through that we would ideally want. So getting some of that in your warmup, like doing a 90-90 hip drill or 90-90 hip swivels, um, or doing some sort of half kneeling biphasic hip flexor stretches, I like to call. All these are exercises that you can search up if you're listening to this. Those are all things that I like to include in that example to help work on all those components of the hip and of the low back. And then from there, I like to do some sort of corrective primer, as I like to call it, which is essentially like for lower back pain, for example, we're just trying to enhance motor control of the areas that, you know, are kind of giving us issues with a lot of low back stuff. I like to prime the core beforehand if possible, not to say that that's going to solve all low back pain, but it can definitely help. So doing things like isometric bird dogs against the wall, um, or doing some sort of half kneeling bear position, like uh, kettlebell pass through just to work on priming that core stability um, will do as well in helping to bulletproof those areas a little bit more. And then lastly, this is where we do move to the barbell, like movement pattern activation, just move through and groove the range of motion through those end ranges, slow and controlled tempo, pause, et cetera. And then actually you ramp up and build up to your main lifts. Doing all that allows you to get the warm up and then you need, and then allows you to also work on those areas that are needed to be addressed before your workout even begins, but then also within the same training session. So we're not having to do anything outside of that, um, if that makes sense. And then I can kind of dive into like, for example, in your specific case, like what I would do as far as like working with someone like you, as far as low back pain and stuff goes there. Yeah. I, I love to do it. Let's do the, the real-time diagnosis. Cool. Yeah. So the way I like to first start with things is I'll give like a broad overview first, as far as like, if you're listening to this and like you're in Mike's position or a similar position where you're experiencing like pain during a movement you're doing in your workout, whether that's like shoulder press, squats, bench press, deadlifts, doesn't matter. This framework applies regardless. And I like to keep things as simple as possible, ideally. Um, and this is the way I found to do that. It's four different steps. The first thing that I like to say is, well, I guess before going into the four steps, the overarching thing I'll say is uh, reassurance and optimism, because I think one thing that often doesn't get talked about when it comes to pain management is how much psychologically it plays into our pain experience. We always like to think of pain as just like the physical, like I hurt something mechanically. What do I do about it to fix it physically? But we don't often address the equally as important part, which is the psychological and sociological processes around pain. All pain stems from the brain first and foremost. And if we don't and if we're catastrophizing or fearful of moving a certain way, or we're scared to pick something up or squat because of our back pain, for example, all that's doing is feeding into a negative feedback loop that continues to feed into the brain's response. It creates a bigger alarm system and we end up experiencing more pain as a result. So the first thing I always like to tell everyone is, hey, don't freak out. It's probably not as serious as you think it is. Like you'll be okay, bar none. From there, we go into the four steps. The first one being modifying load, which in your case, you've already said that you can squat like pretty much fine without pain, but more for the listeners listening to this. Like if you're experiencing pain with the movement, the first thing I always like to do with a client is, Hey, is there like a load that we can just keep it simple, reduce it down to where you don't get pain? Cause maybe you get back pain when you squat above 135, but if we lower that down to 75 pounds, you can squat through the full range of motion, no problem, no pain. Great. That's where you start because the whole goal of rehab is graded exposure to the pain triggers that are causing your pain to begin with. Because I always like to say the um, 
Antidote many times is the lesser dose of the poison, meaning if squats were what hurt you in the first place, ideally, if it's possible, that is where we're starting from, from the main rehab standpoint. So the first thing is, can we modify a load and get you through uh, squatting the full range of motion pain-free and then building back up from there? If that's where, if that works, great. That's where we start from. If the client's like, hey, no, like I no matter what load I strip this down to, like it's always painful. The next thing I move to is modifying tempo. Is there a way that we can, you know, control the tempo of the movement where we're getting more time under tension? As a result, we're reducing load. And as a result, we're getting the tissues uh, worked on through a different means. Uh, I like to do like very exaggerated eccentrics for this, like five to 10 seconds, even sometimes. And that just forces us to have to modify that load and go through the full range of motion. If you can start there and do that with relatively little to no pain, great. That's where you're going to start rehab. If not, we move on to step three, which is, can we modify the range of motion in some way? To your example, with experiencing like back spasms and, you know, the bottom of the squat when you went into the hole, like a lot of times I like to tell clients like, hey, maybe you're experiencing pain at the bottom of the hole in your squat, but what if we just modify where we're doing a pin squat or a box squat at 90 degrees, 45 degrees, or even higher, where you can get through that partial range of motion with little to no pain. If that's the case, amazing. That's where we're going to start because that'll allow us to move through a progression process of lowering the range of motion, eventually getting deeper into the squat and building back up from there. And then the last thing is if we can't do that, step four, which is just modifying the exercise, but keeping it as close as possible. Maybe low bar exacerbates your back pain, but we can shift to high bar, which shifts the biomechanical position of the forces on your back. Maybe that makes it better. If that doesn't, cool. Maybe we can do a belt squat where we're just getting that axial loading on the spine completely reduced. And now we can move through the range of motion without pain. If we can just go through that logical process, that'll allow us to bounce back much quicker. And then two, like I mentioned from the psychological standpoint, which often doesn't get talked about, it allows us to retrain our brain back towards being comfortable with the movement patterns that hurt us in the first place. Because if we never address that to begin with, like we're honestly never going to get back to where we want to be long-term because we're always going to have the underlying negative feedback loop and catastrophization loop present in the back of our minds, which is just going to exacerbate that pain experience, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It's really fascinating. Um, something that stood out as you're mentioning the tempo, I've noticed since I've since way back when I hurt my back, I just naturally go with a slower eccentric because mm -hmm. I feel like I can control the movement and right. I actually injured it it was doing explosive reps. It was like something for time. I was mm -hmm. trying to get in as many reps as fast as possible. And that's when it happened. So I noticed that I'm more hesitant to go with a faster tempo. Is that mm -hmm. something that I should try to, because you mentioned the psychological exposure, which yeah. is probably part of it where there's that little bit of fear of I shouldn't do explosive reps because that's what injured me in the first place. Yeah. Is there any advantage to me trying to get back to normal or a faster tempo and just from the psychological, like overcoming that? There is, there is. And that, and that kind of leads me into like, you know, when I work with clients through all this, there's kind of like a four-step process that we use. And what you're mentioning there actually falls into like part of that process as far as the phases go that we work through with clients. And like, um, I'll, I'll first start by prefacing like, you know, if you're, when, when you're curious about like, 
why I got injured in the first place and everything. And this will lead me into what I'm about to mention. Like, um, I always like to boil it down to it, it simplifies things a little too much sometimes, but I like to use it because I like to keep it simple. And I think of injury as like an equation. Like when you get injured, it's simply when the applied load on the tissues becomes greater than the tissue capacity, meaning there is a certain amount of tolerable limits that every tissue and joint in our body has before it eventually essentially exceeds its envelope of function. And we end up getting pain or injury as a result of that. I like to think of it as like a cup. You have a cup with a finite amount of space in there. As that cup gets filled with stressors, stressors, not just being the gym and what you're doing and the amount of load and the amount of volume and reps that you're doing, but also other stressors from outside the gym and life, all that overflows our cup. Eventually that applied load ends up exceeding the cup that ends up causing symptoms as a result once the water overflows the cup, which then leads us into the whole goal of rehab, which is one, getting stressors out of that cup. And then two, building up the bigger, building up a bigger cup so we can actually handle more being thrown at it, which leads us into your question there. And like the way I kind of frame that is what the analogy I just gave. And we have like four phases I essentially work through with every client that comes to me. The restoration phase being, hey, first phase, we're just getting stuff out of your cup, right? That's everything I just talked about earlier. And then now to your point, um, the exposure and potentiation phase, which is our second and third phase of what we like to do with every client. This is where we're building back up to, like I mentioned earlier in the past five minutes of what I was talking about. But then also now to your point with potentiation, we need to get sports specific at some point with like what we're trying to improve. One, from a psychological perspective, like you mentioned, and then two, from we need to build up a bigger cup and build up bigger resilience. And the way we do that is by getting specific eventually with what we're trying to improve, which is if the goal is I want to get back to doing explosive reps and, you know, doing, you know, am wraps and every minute on the minute and like that sort of thing and get back to doing uh, training in that way. Well, our rehab has to look similar to that on some level, just scaled back slightly, which in our potentiation phase, in our third phase, like that's the whole goal is like doing sports specific movements in a way that's controlled in a controlled environment, in a controlled manner, and eventually building up the capacity where our body can handle that. And that does come from doing a variation similar to what caused you pain in the first place and then building up to actually having part of your rehab look like doing explosive reps with maybe more constraints added onto it and less um, and less reps and sets added onto it just as a way of reconditioning yourself back to doing that long-term. Yeah, that's a great analogy that makes perfect sense. Um, curious, what do you feel? Because when we're looking at the, the capacity of the cup and mm-hmm. kind of exceeding what the joints are able to handle, how much do you feel like is range of motion specific versus strength specific because mm-hmm. you mentioned like doing AMRAP. So I think of CrossFit immediately yeah. and I'm thinking like, you know, if you're doing CrossFit competitively, you better have some damn good ankle mobility, hip mobility and shoulder mobility. So how much mm-hmm. of it is range of motion of the joints and how much of it is capacity for load on the joints? I think it's, I think there's just one in the same. And what I mean by that is if we think about the example you just gave with like CrossFit, for example, um, if you have very crappy ankle mobility and knee stability, that's going to have to compensate somewhere, right? And if we think about it, if we have really crappy ankle mobility, that's going to compensate up the chain. That's going to cause us to maybe have to shift during a squat. If we're shifting during a squat and we're doing all this load and all these reps and all these sets, our back 
maybe it does have the capacity and strength in a normal position under normal circumstances. But if we have really crappy ankle mobility and we're trying to do AMRAPs on squats and our back's not used to being in a compensated position, well, now it doesn't have the capacity in that position to handle it, right? So it all goes back to positional tolerance, which is why I say they're one and the same. And that if we have really crappy range of motion somewhere um, down the chain, that's going to compensate somewhere else up the chain. And as a result, it's not necessarily the fact that you don't have capacity overall, but it's more so do you have capacity in that specific position, right? Which is where form and range of motion does come into play. And it's important that I think that's the starting point, which is we do have full range of motion and access to all our joints, because if we don't have that in the first place, then everything else doesn't matter anymore. We can do everything in the world to rehab and bulletproof and create resilience of our low back or other tissues. But if our range of motion is really crappy in the first place, for example, like none of that matters because our body is just going to be taken out of position to begin with. And it's not going to have the positional tolerance in that specific situation to handle all that getting thrown at it. Whereas if we start there and we improve that in the first place, well, now we don't have that problem anymore. And now we actually have positional tolerance and strength in those positions that we need to improve. Right. So I think they're one and the same. And I think you can't talk about one without the other. Um, but if I had to say, I think it's starting with the range of motion first in mind, because that allows us to get to the root of the problem and actually allow us to improve things while making sure we don't fall back into old habits. And as a result, just end up re-injuring ourselves again. Yeah. So I, I started the questioning with minimum effective dose. Now let's shift to more of like what you would consider optimal. Cause I think mm-hmm. for me, a big, a big issue is ankle mobility, um, hip mobility for sure. Where do you, like, what would be ideal for getting those things corrected. Do you, is that something where I should be doing something every day? Uh, what would you consider optimal? And, and do you typically start with, you know, we're going to work up the chain. Like you mentioned, we're going to start at the ankles. We're going to work our way up. Uh, what's kind of your preference there? Yeah. So the way I kind of look at it, as far as like what's optimal is first, it comes down to, I think asking yourself like, cool, I want to improve ankle mobility. For example, what do I want to improve the ankle mobility for? Right. Cause I think a lot of times we, Um, And this comes with a lot of clients I've talked to. I think we get caught in the trap of like thinking like, oh, I know my ankle mobility is crappy. So I need to improve it, for example, or I know my, you know, I I know I need more like uh, knee stability. So I need to work on that. Cool. Like, but what are we trying to improve that for? Because if we don't actually have the end goal in mind or the end outcome in mind of what are we trying to do this for in the first place? We're just going to be throwing a bunch of fluff at it. And it doesn't matter like how much I tell you to do or what I tell you to do. Like if there's no end goal in mind with this, like we're just mindlessly doing mobility drills with like no end goal or end purpose. Right. So I, I think it's first starting with like, what is the actual end outcome that we have in mind? If it's, I want to improve ankle mobility. So my squat doesn't suck as much. Cool. Now we have an end goal of like what we want to accomplish. Now we know what specifically we need to do from an optimality standpoint for our ankle mobility to improve that, which in this context would be let's work on the specific positions we're going to be in the squat, which you know, when I keep it simple, like if I'm, if I had to tell someone like one exercise just to do like the one best exercise to do to actually improve like ankle mobility in the squat, it's like literally spend more time in the bottom position of the squat. And I mean, like actually spend more time in that, like literally hold yourself, wedge yourself into the bottom position of the squats far as you can go comfortably and hang out there for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, like the specific positions you're trying to improve doing that is going to land you like 70 to 80% of the gains that you want to get from a mobility standpoint. 
Now, on top of that, from an optimal standpoint, we do need to work on specific ankle dorsiflexion uh, drills and stuff for ankle mobility. And that comes with, again, knowing the end outcome. If we know we need to improve the squat, cool. Let's do drills like positional mobilizations where we have a band around the ankle and we're leaning into more dorsiflexion, just going forward, doing knee to wall drills in a similar position that we'd be sitting in for a squat and that sort of thing. So what we're working on actually ends up being specific to what we're trying to improve. And that goes for everything. It's like, cool, we want to improve shoulder mobility so I can snatch better, or we're trying to improve shoulder mobility so I don't hurt as much during bench press. Cool. Ask yourself what positions you're going to be in during that movement. And then all your mobility drills should be focused on looking similar to that or improving positions that you're going to be in for that specific end outcome. But until you identify that, we can talk about optimality all day long. It's like, we're not going to know, we're just going to be throwing crap at the wall and hoping something works, but we don't actually know the North star that we're shooting for in the first place to begin with. Yeah. I always say, you know, you can't really give clear directions if you don't know what the end destination is. You got to know your starting point. You got to know your ending point. Uh, so I think that that provides a lot of clarity on on what direction to go. If you don't know what you're doing it for, then you're kind of just shooting in the dark. Um, how much um, stock do you put into modalities like, you know, SMR, self-myofascial release, things like that, foam rolling, um, types th- those types of stretching or, or kind of, I don't know, things like that that you might yeah. hear a lot where, you know, for... Uh, that used to be what I would hear all the time. Oh, like, you, you know, your hamstrings are tight, go roll it out or, you know, uh, go lay on the foam roller for 10 minutes. Yeah. That type yeah. of thing. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on stuff like that? Uh, I, it's funny. Every time I get asked this, I'm just like, yeah, I do not, I put very, very little stock in that. And I'll explain why. Like I, like when I used to treat in person, like it's funny because I would always get flamed. I feel like sometimes from colleagues and other individuals, because like if anyone would see me treat as a therapist in person, like I'm barely putting my hands on you other than like maybe tactile cueing during an exercise. Like that's it. Like, I'm, and so I put very little stock into, and I put these all in the same bucket. Like what you just mentioned, like self-myofascial release, foam rolling, massage, um, Graston therapy, cupping, Theragun, like you name it. I put it all under the same bucket in that, the reason I don't put much stock into it is because it's only, it's a, it's like a bandy. Like it's only giving us um, a temporary feel good mechanism towards, I feel better in the 24 to 48 hours following this, but that all just comes with temporary non lasting effects that eventually do fade. And I always like to say um, active problems require active solutions. And I always put all of those modalities into the bucket of they are passive solutions that can work as an adjunct to the active mobility and corrective exercise and other drills that we should be working on, but they should not be the sole focus or the thing that you immediately go to when something's hurting or you want to relieve your pain. Like, sure, do it if it feels good, but just understand like what it is and what it isn't doing. And what it isn't doing is actually giving you any long lasting effects. Like we're not breaking any adhesions. We're not rolling out any knots in your muscle tissue. Like it's literally physically, physiologically impossible to do any of that, which is why I'm like, we're not like, I don't put much stock into it for that exact reason. It's more so, Hey, if, if, if it feels good and you enjoy doing it, same thing goes for like getting like a chiropractic adjustment or getting like manipulation done. Like, Hey, like if it feels good, good on you, go ahead and do that. If you have no desire to do that and like, you don't care for it, like don't do it because it honestly is not going to make a single difference in like the plan of care and the rehab goes at the end of the day. Yeah. We're, we're pretty much in alignment on that. Um, is there anything like, like mental checklist for somebody who is going through a warm up phase and, and they're trying to 
uh, you know, either overcome injury or just improve mobility, range of motion. It's like a certain checklist of, am I accomplishing these things before I go into my workout? Uh, something that's like real simple and tangible for people to, to take away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you're, if you're wanting to have like a very simple checklist of like, cool, like what do I need to keep in mind? Like anytime I go into workout, when I want to improve all these areas, one, are we raising core body temperature to where we need to be to ideally get an effective workout in that can be with anything that you deem enjoyable. Like it honestly doesn't matter to me. The main premise there is if we're increasing blood flow, we're going to be less likely to injure ourselves, strain the muscle, et cetera, that sort of thing. So one checklist, item, can we actually, uh, ramp up your heart rate and your blood flow doing some sort of exercise? Like it doesn't matter to me what that is. You could walk on the treadmill. You can run on the treadmill. You can jump rope. You can do whatever you want, but are we raising our blood, our uh, blood flow and our heart rate to where we want to be? That's one and getting our body warm, uh, two are, am I, am I mobilizing the, the muscles that I know I need to be using for the workout and keep it very simple. Like if you know you're going in and like, I'm lifting lower body today. Cool. I want you to do like one to two things that feel good for like stretching and doing mobility for your lower body. They can be a lot of the things I just mentioned earlier on in this podcast. They can be your favorite hamstring stretch. They can be, it could be your favorite hip flexor stretch, like whatever, like keep it simple, like do one or two things around just mobilizing and and it doesn't have to be specific. Like if you don't have any sp things specific going on or you don't want to work on anything specifically, it can be super general. Like, am I doing one to two things to just mobilize the area of my body that I'm going to be working? If it's lower body, do two things for lower body. If it's upper body, do two things for upper body. It doesn't really make a difference what those are. Three, um, am I activating the muscle groups I'm going to be using? Again, keep it simple. If you're doing lower body and you're doing squats, do some body with squats. If you're doing upper body and you're doing some bench press, do some push-ups beforehand. Like keep it very simple. You just want to go through the same ranges of motion that you're using. And then lastly, am I priming my central nervous system for the workout? If you're doing lower body, whatever movements you're doing, I want you to just start with an empty weight, empty barbell or like super light weight. And then you should just gradually be progressing up from there. That's going to excite your nervous central nervous system and get it ready for the workout for that day. We'll be less likely to get injured. If you're doing upper body, same thing. There's more nuances to that, but if you want a very simple checklist of like, Hey, if I hit these like four items, like I know I'm good to go before I work out and I'm getting 70 to 80% of what I need. Like that's literally it at the end of the day, everything else is kind of bonus. Um, and doing those four things every time you walk into the gym or every time you do a workout at home or whatever that is like that will take you no more than five to eight minutes, ideally. And you're going to get like the majority of the results that you want. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, and that, that makes it tangible for me as somebody who is very resistant to that type of stuff, uh, <laughs> yeah. but super basic, which I love, uh, for, I know this is going to vary. This is going to be an, it depends question, but I'd still love to hear your thoughts for somebody who is experiencing a little bit of pain and they start to implement either start working with you, implementing everything that, that you're teaching, uh, what's kind of the expected time frame where you notice a difference in how you move, how you feel. Um, obviously everybody's different, but just from what you've seen overall and working with, you know, a number of people. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it obviously depends, like you said, but I think in general, if it's something acute, which I'll define as this issue or whatever you have going on has been only lasting for less than 
like less than 12 weeks. So anywhere from zero days to uh, 12 weeks in total, if it's acute in that nature, 30 to 60 days is like the typical time frame, right? If we're looking at something that's a little more chronic in nature, AKA it's been a little more than 12 weeks, I'll put it as, I'll peg it as like three to six months that you've been dealing with an issue. Um, 60 to 90 days is the typical time frame that I usually look at somewhere in between there. Um, if it's anything longer than like six months that you've been dealing with an issue, we're probably looking at somewhere closer to like four to six months sometimes more, but four to six months in general, as far as like how long it takes to actually fully recover from what we're dealing with. Those are like the typical, like very general timeframes that we look at when someone comes to me and they're dealing with an issue, you know, we can classify them as acute or chronic and subclasses within them. And then from that, we know, cool, 30 to 60 days, 60, 90, or 90 plus up to six months um, timeframe to like recover from an injury. And obviously it's injury dependent and all that stuff, but those are like the general timeframes. And I'd have to imagine that one of the big signs that you see with with either clients who have experienced pain or are recovering, or even if they're just working on the mobility and corrective exercises, that that they'll notice strength improvements as well. Is that is that the case typically? For sure. Yeah. Especially when they start working on like the areas that often get unaddressed. For example, if I have like a patient that's dealing with like shoulder pain and, you know, we're starting to rehab and work on mobility and correctives for their shoulder as a result of going through that process, um, obviously they get strong in those specific positions, but they also inevitably end up getting stronger overall and like movements they haven't realized would benefit them. So like, for example, in this case, like a lot of times we're working with shoulder patients, we'll work on like their shoulder stability and everything and the stability of their rotator cuff and like different positions and scapular stability. And a lot of things that often don't get addressed at all in like a normal training program. And then as a result of that, when they go back to their normal workouts, like they're like, holy crap, like this feels amazing. Like my bench feels like amazing. Now I'm so much stronger. And you, they don't realize like that stuff is not just essential for rehab, but like it's essential in every training program, because I always like to say, like, we can't in this context, like we can't have uh distal mobility before proximal stability, AKA, like we need to work on all of those correctives and mobility in the first place to actually get us to be able to produce the force output that we want in those movements. So inevitably they do always end up one feeling better, but then two getting stronger as a result of doing all that accessory, or as I like to say, necessary work that just feeds into everything that they're doing on a normal, regular basis. And that goes for both in the gym and out of gym, which is daily life, because you're going to be lifting and doing stuff on day-to-day life and stuff too. And like that all obviously benefits one and the same, like regardless. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that that was covered because for people who are stubborn like me, um, you're going to pull me in more on the strength gains than you will. Like, oh, you know, I'm like, ah, I can deal with the pain. It's fine, whatever. But when you tell me I can get stronger in the gym, now I'm all ears and, and I'll actually. Right. And that's why, and that's why with like the primary people we work with again, are like avid lifters. Like that's a lot of the population that we work with. Like that's how I frame it with them. That's why we always take the tagline of like, Hey, we're going to help you not just overcome your pain and get back to hitting more PRs. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, that's what they enjoy doing and that's what they want. And we're all meatheads. So it's like, you know, from that same point, it's like, if I can frame it that way, it's like, Oh, okay. A little more buy into the process, you know, for sure. Uh, we do have a lot of coaches that listen to the show. I'm curious if, you know, for somebody who's, who's a coach, who's doing some programming, but not necessarily, um, somebody that specializes in pain rehab or management, things like that. Um, is there anything that you offer that can help 
coaches uh, being able, because this can benefit so many people being able to implement it for their own clients. Um, anything mm-hmm. you have along those lines? Yeah. If you're a fitness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer listening to this, like obviously I think you've probably nodded your head of several times to everything that Mike and I have talked about during this podcast. And, you know, we actually, I actually haven't actually released this publicly really. Um, so this will be first time for all the listeners here, uh, which is we are doing an exclusive giveaway just for you guys that are listening to Mind Over Macros. Um, for you guys who know you could benefit from mobility, corrective exercise, programming, and from talking to a lot of coaches, like a lot of coaches, honestly, like low key hate programming a little bit. Um, and it's kind of tedious. So ideally we can take that all out of the way for you. So what we're actually doing is giving away like a full year's worth of just client programming with the mobility and the corrective exercise combined, um, that would benefit any client that you're working with from any standpoint, whether they're working out at home, working at, out at the gym, they're a beginner, they're an intermediate, they're advanced client. We've just created like a full year's worth of client programming templates that you can plug and play into whatever software that you're using to deliver programming to ideally make your lives easier and then also learn and implement a lot of the things that Mike and I just touched on in this podcast. Um, if you want access to that, all you have to do is join the free Facebook group we have called Injury Prevention Secrets. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Um, and all you have to do is just join the group, leave a comment on the pin post that's right at the top of the group, and someone from our team will reach back out to you and give you the full year of programming. And hopefully from that, you never have to worry about programming for another client ever again for a while. So it's awesome. What an, That's an amazing offer. We Absolutely did not discuss this beforehand. So you guys are getting the exclusive on the spot, amazing deal. Um, to go take advantage of it. We will absolutely post the link in the show notes. I know a lot of coaches struggle with that. Uh, certainly if I were still writing programming, um, I would be all over that. So go take advantage. Uh, Injury Prevention Secrets, I believe is the group name. And I will post that uh, in the show notes so you guys can uh, get over there and, and take advantage. Um Anything else that you want to leave people with that we maybe didn't cover? Anything else that uh, that you feel like would be helpful as we start to wrap up here? I think the only thing I'll leave on a last note with, which is like, again, I like to just keep things as stupid, simple as possible. And for all of you listening to this, whether you're a coach or you're you're not, um, when it comes to like injuries, rehab, prehab, mobility, all that stuff, like the main thing I'll leave you with is just understanding if you can just understand the very simple premise of like, hey, most of the time why I got injured is simply from doing too much too soon after too little for too long. Just that one sentence alone and understanding that will lead you a long way towards making sure you don't run into these issues down the road. Because I can't tell you how many times I can have a conversation with a client and it's like, why did it get injured? Oh, well, it seems like you were walking. You tried to like go from zero to a hundred and just walk like a ton of miles, like because your coach or someone else told you, you needed to hit 10,000 steps and you've been sitting on the couch doing zero or like three K a day. And as a result, now you got plantar fasciitis. So if you can just understand that one sentence and like, make sure again, you're being consistent. You're trusting the process. You're not doing too much too soon. Uh, you'll go a long way in like preventing injuries and just making sure you're staying healthy and not hurt, which at the end of the day, whether you're a fitness junkie or you're just trying to lose weight and, you know, get fitter, like at the end of the day, if you can avoid staying, if you can avoid getting injured for a long period of time, like that's, going to get you closer to your goals at the end of the day. Um, and the last thing we want is a setback like that to occur. So that's the last thing I'll leave off on. Very well said. Uh, for everybody that's listening that wants to stay up to date, this was uh, you know super valuable for me. I learned a lot. So anybody who wants to continue to learn from you and 
um, just follow everything that you've got going on. Where can they find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at DocKevFit. Um, that is the easiest place as far as just keeping up to date with like the info that I shared on this podcast and um, the content that we post around that. And then obviously, um, like I just mentioned earlier, Injury Prevention Secrets, our free Facebook group with myself and uh, Dr. Amanda Wyman, who's a doctor of chiropractic. Um, we share trainings every single week in there, as well as other valuable uh, trainings around mobility, corrective exercise, prehab, rehab, exercise modifications, the whole nine yards specifically for every fitness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer that's listening to this. That's the most valuable way you can learn from us because we're just dumping free trainings and resources in there every single week. So get into Facebook group, follow on Instagram. You can learn all the things there and uh, set yourself up for success. Love it. And I will post all that in the show notes as well. Dude, this was super helpful. I appreciate you joining and I will talk to you very soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon.